<laughs> it's on, it's on. It's on, let yeah. me put it on for you. It's like uh, Danny DeVito and Arnold Schwarzenegger all over again. <laughs> Guess who's Danny DeVito? We, we've been planning wardrobes for ages, yeah. and um, we eventually got this right. It's lovely to see you. Are you all well? Excellent. Well, you don't have to say you're well if you're not well. Um, we're very glad we're back. Uh, I've had a bit of a hectic uh, month, and so I'm very grateful that you guys have been so generous in letting me go and do the stuff I have to do. Um, but we're very excited about what God. We long to be in our church every time we go out. I was never built to be a missionary. And um, so every time we're out, my heart, our hearts ache uh, to be back. And we have been in some fantastic spaces in our country and in the world. And we just still, we love you guys, man. You're our family. And, um, and we're excited about what God is doing in our lives and in our city and in this nation. And so I've asked Dale if he would just take a few minutes, if you wouldn't mind, um, I think it's a very important thing. Dale was with us in one of our conferences down for pastors in Reet Rafia, and um, it's a pastor's retreat. We had all our pastors there, and he was asked to do a, a five-minute, ten-minute thing on helping people understand how to get their finances in line. It was excellent. And uh, when I said, buddy, you've got to do that, we, we need all the help we can get he is well-trained, he's excellent, he's like an expert in this area, and I think what he has to share with you this morning will be invaluable. It's going to be very helpful. We're going to be moving into a series in May uh, called The Generous Life, and we're going to talk about money, and uh, it is the biggest topic. It's the biggest topic in the New Testament, it's the biggest topic in Jesus, it's the biggest topic on earth at the moment. Uh, we've come back from a country that have been plunged into financial depression. Um, our nation stands on the brink. The world is in chaos, and the, and, and, and the church is looking to the government for answers. And we're looking everywhere. Our answer is in Jesus Christ. And if the church is not the alternative community, if we're not giving people the truth, and we're not showing people that our God provides for us regardless, He will send ravens to care for us, if we don't have that answer, then we're a failure. You can raise the dead, cast out demons, but if our finances are out of order and we're not trusting God to be, to be our provision for everything we need, then we're no different from the world. And I know I don't belong in this world. I know I belong to Jesus, don't you? And I believe that His Word is true for us. So don't be comparative to the weird voices about finances that have been going on for the last 20, 30 years, shouting about weird stuff about finances because they're Christians. God has got an answer for you. And we're going to discover over the next while, what does God have for us? We should be living lives that the world will go, I want the Jesus you serve because he is the one who can look after me. I, I believe in that God. And so for the next uh, few minutes, Dale's going to share with you, open your hearts, listen to what he has to say. So, I mean, that's, uh, we, we're really serious about this. That's why we uh, buy one, get one free shirts. <laughs> <coughs> and uh, so I'm going to start off with a verse. It's Matthew 6, verse 24. It says this, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one or love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. 
And one of the biggest traps that uh, we find ourselves often in is being a slave to money. If you have a, a home loan, there's another word for it. It's called a bond. You know, it goes back to being a bond servant, bond slave. And um, that we would be a people that serve one master. And that's why if we can just get, if we can start to take control of our money, it helps us then serve this one master. So like Brett said, we're going to be talking about the generous life uh, from May and working through that. And then later this year, we're going to do uh, some evenings during the week, which will be workshop type evenings, practical. Uh, so this is just a whet your appetite, start thinking, maybe start adjusting life, start processing this, and then, um, and then change. So we cannot be a slave to money. Jesus Christ, he's bought us. Let's belong to him alone. So the, the biggest thing about money is your personal budget. A lot of people go, uh, I don't earn enough to budget. And the reason you don't earn enough to budget is because you don't budget. You have to budget. It doesn't matter if you're a student and you're earning 100 bucks a month, whatever it is, you have to budget. And, and the reason behind budgeting is so that you can take control back. Gives you control. It lets you know where you're heading. If you're not aware of where you're at, it's impossible to know where you're going. It helps you set goals and review. Monitor actual versus predictions. You know, I think I'm earning, uh, well, I think we're spending this on uh, medical aid. Oh, wait, that was the figure four years ago. You know, it helps you monitor. And the trick with a personal budget, keep it simple. You know, you can go on, online and you can find templates and it can be spreadsheets and spreadsheets, but keep it simple. Keep it to what you can understand. This is for you. No one else is going to come and check this and mark it. It's, it's keep it simple. And, and later in the year when we go through this, we'll have some templates and, and, and questions and time like that. But um, the main thing behind it is often... People, when they speak of budget, they speak like it's almost like, are you, are you trying to hamstring me? But a budget is there to help you dream, to think of your life beyond today. Where do I want to go? Lord, what do you want me to do? So many times I've heard people go, I've heard myself go, I'd love to give more. But I actually don't know how much I could give. So it's about dreaming. This isn't about, oh, well, come on, man. This is hard work and you're trying to put chains on me. This is about put a budget in place so that you can dream for the rest of your life. Where do you feel God is taking you? What would you love to do as a family? Proverbs 27 verse 23 says this. Be sure you know the conditions of your flocks. Give careful attention to your herds. It enables you to take control. It sheds lights on a expenses and increases. You know, every year, if you've got insurances, they just increase. Boom. Discovery this last year went up 11%. Boom. If you have no idea what you're spending last year, you've got no idea what it's going to be coming up to. That every year, I could actually phone my uh, security company. I know uh, one lady who's very bossy in this church uh, phoned us, their security company, and uh, and said, I, I want to pay last year's rates, otherwise I'm moving. And guess what they did? They gave her last year's rates. But if you don't know, it just comes off on the first of every month, and you have an F&B, then it did, 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 did. 
It just goes out. We've got no control. We're just slave to our SMSs, eh? So our personal budget keeps our eye on the prize. If you know what you've got to spend, you don't get distracted by the pretty things. You know, you're going to go buy a car, and you know this is what I can spend a month on a car, and you walk in, and uh, you're walking in to look at the Honda Jazz, but right next door to Honda is Ford. And, and right outside Ford is a, is a wild track, double cab, black, matte, rims, chrome, and it's, it's calling you. Just beck this thing, Dale, come to me, you know? I'm like, no, 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 I was going in for a Honda Jazz, but wow. Having a budget keeps us from being distracted by the pretty things of life. There's a lot of pretty stuff out there, a lot of stuff that calls for our attention. But if I know what I can spend, I know what I can't buy. In the United States, in 2016, this is a so slightly older figure. Maybe it's gone up since then. The average credit card debt per household was $8,377. So obviously there's some households that don't have, and there's some households that do have more. Credit, that's just, just credit card debt. 8,300, so times that by 13, you get rands. A few years ago, many years ago, there was a system called the lay-by system. If you wanted something, you would walk into the shop. There's a washing machine. How much for the washing machine? Okay, what I'll do is I'll bring my money every month, and once I've paid my last payment, I'll take the washing machine home. Some of you remember those days. Now, what we do, we swap our credit card, and by the time the last payments come off, the washing machine's dead, because they're only built to last three years. And being a Jesus follower means we live life contrary to everyone else, actually. We swim upstream when everyone else is flowing with the river. And I mean, that's just an example, because that's the world we live in. Swap, pay later. How much? I don't know, but we can pay it off later. Went into a cell phone shop uh, to, to change my contract, and uh, the guy dealing with me, and he's like, yeah, but you can get the, the 10 I was like, yeah, I know I could get the 10, and I'd be paying slightly more than what I was paying on my previous contract, but, but I don't want the 10. He's like, I don't understand. It's better. I was like, yeah, but I, I want the 7. He's like, yeah, but then you're going backwards. I was like, yeah, but I'm saving 100 Rand a month. And, uh, and then he frazzled for a while, and, uh, and eventually I convinced him that's, that's what I'm getting. But that's how we live, hey? It's like, I've just got it improved, just better, just doesn't matter. It's only 250 rand a month, and we'll spread it out over 36 months rather than 24 months. That we understand what's going out. That we don't follow the systems of this world. A big part of this is saving for our future. Proverbs 6, verse 6 to 8 says this. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander or overseer or ruler. Yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. The ant. Those little guys that are in my kitchen all the time. And yet, they understand they need to save up. 
for winter. So plan for your retirement. Don't live for your retirement. Don't, when I turn 65, I'll have so much money in the bank that I just, but my family won't know who I am. Don't live for it, but plan for it. There's options like retirement annuities. Now, the trick with retirement, what they say is, take 80% of your current needs, and that's what you'll need for retirement. Because hopefully by then, your kids have passed all the grades and have left school. You never know. And, uh, and if you're paying any bonds, and co- that's all paid off. So take, calculate on 80% of what you're earning now. That's what you'll need for retirement. I'll just give you some figures. If, uh, if you're looking to put money into a retirement annuity, if you start 40 years in advance, so if you're retiring at 65, so if you start at 25, you'll need to put 15% of your salary away a month. If you start 30 years before you retire, it's 22%. And if you wait till 20 years before you retire, you've got to put 36% of your gross salary away. It's quite a lot, eh? There are other options, other ways, and we'll talk about those later in the year. But the point is, start thinking about the future. Start dreaming about your future. And then just one practical thing I'd like to leave with you today is, if you have a bond on your house, property, your best savings tool is your bond account. Often it's spoke, yeah, but they're going to penalize you. If I, if, I, if I pay my bond off early, they're going to penalize me. Well, guess what? The penalty is much less than your monthly interest. Much less. So if you're looking to save money and put it away, don't open a money on call account. or Make sure, first of all, that your bond is, is an access bond, that you can have access to those funds if you need that. But put it in there because you're saving at about 10, 10.5%. Whereas if you put it in anything else, the highest you're going to get is 7, maybe 8%. So save into your bond. I did a calculation. Most people, it used to be most people would get a 7% increase every year, roughly around there at CPI. And um, what we do is we take our 7% increase and we know, well, petrol's gone up and food's gone up and school fees go up and we spread it across everything. Except what we don't do is we don't spread it over our bond as well. So we, our bond, we, we start out and we're paying a set amount. And for the next 20 or 30 years, you just continue to pay the same amount. If you take that 7% increase on an annual basis and put it, add it to your bond payment, and if you're paying off a bond in 20 years, you'll pay it off in 126 months. That's just over 10 years. 10 and a half years, you'll pay your bond off. Just taking your, your increase and calculating and including your bond. And then you've got money to save. The whole bond payment then goes towards planning your future. You're no longer a slave. You serve but one master, not the bank. So I encourage you, sit down today. Take time out. Go, I want to take control of my money. I would even, I would even say this. If you do have a bond and you go, I can't put any more in, put another hundred rand in. Because what it says is, I'm in control. I determine how much I put in. I'm not the slave and it's just slave to a message, an SMS. I am in control of this thing. I'm paying it off early. I serve one master. I would encourage you to do that. And then start thinking about, what is my budget? Maybe you've done it. Maybe you've done it a while ago. New Year's come. 
March, 1st of March, most things go up then. Sit down, start going through it. And if you have no idea what to do, you are most welcome to come and speak to me. And we're going to, like I said, we're going to be talking about the generous life in May. And then we're going to do some workshops later in the year in about September time. But I, please, this is so we can dream. We can dream big for our lives, for our futures, and then change this world. Amen. I want you... Uh this has been a little thought in my heart. I th I'm, I'm sure we're all aware of what's going on in our, in our world. We can't ignore where we're at. We've got national um, elections coming up um, soon. We should be praying. Um, we have um, signs of xenophobia reappearing in our nation. We need to be praying. Uh, we have people around us who are aching. We have uh, all sorts of challenges that we face. And the one thing we cannot afford to do is stick our head in the ground and ignore what's going on. The, maybe one of the most I want to do this quickly. Is that all right? One of the most famous stories told by Jesus was the story of the Good Samaritan, which you find in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10. And uh, building to that story, I noticed a number of significant events moments uh, that in my mind stirred Jesus to tell the story uh, of the Good Samaritan. There were those two days, for example, when Jesus commissioned his 12 disciples and then the, other, the, next, uh, and the next day that he commissioned 72 other disciples. He gave them his power, he gave them his authority to preach the gospel of his kingdom wherever they were to heal the sick, to heal all diseases, and to cast out demons. These guys uh, had uh, great power, great authority, and as a result of that, they could tell great stories. And we see that in the Bible, that they came back and they told, Jesus, you can't believe what happened. When we said things in your name, people were healed, blind eyes opened, demons came out. These were great stories they told. There was that day when... Thousands of hungry Jesus followers were fed miraculously by God. And there was that big uh, move of gratitude. And, and, uh, and that, you know, if you were there, that would be a great fireside story to tell. I was there one day when, can you imagine that? There was also that intimate moment, I don't know if you remember, when some of Jesus' disciples were praying with Jesus up in the mountain, and they saw Jesus transform what, the, what seemed like into a heavenly being, and he was also accompanied by Moses and Elijah. And it was like this, this moment, the, this was the inner circle stuff that happened. It was Peter, James, and John, and they were in this amazing moment. In the Bible, it's referred to the moment of transfiguration. And then there were those everyday challenging conversations that Jesus had with the 12, with the close 12 disciples. Tuck in your pride no one following me is going to become famous. Everyone who follows me is going to cost your life. It's going to cost you everything. And I think most of us can identify with that because if you're following Jesus, you have those challenging, those, those uh, 
the conversations between you and the Lord where He speaks to us and stirs us and challenges us, the conversations we have with each other. And then it was also a day uh, building up to the story where the disciples ran into the Samaritans and the Samaritans banned Jesus from coming to the town so they had to make another route out. And you pick up with me in verse 25 of the Gospel of uh, Luke. You read these words. One day an expert of religion, a religious law, stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question, Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? And the man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, this is right. Do this and you will live. And then it records this, the man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? This is a great question. This is a question we all ask. And most of us reading the story don't realize that that's not the question that should be asked. So who is your neighbor? The man wanted to justify his actions. The answer is very simple. You don't have to become all theological and go and do research on Google about this. The answer is very simple. Your neighbor is right in front of you. Whoever that person is. I remember um, when the xenophobic uh, drama broke out in our nation a number of years ago. I have a very dear friend. His name is Simon Matonga. He's a pastor in Mayville. And uh, we'd been doing quite a lot of work in Mayville with regards to uh, caring for the poor. We had been part of a school. We had been feeding 200 kids a day. We'd been handing out two tons of food every month. We'd been paying school fee for kids. We renovated the school. This is what we did as a church a number of years ago. We had put desks and chairs, and we spent hundreds of thousands of rand in there. And what we wanted to do is walk alongside some local pastors, and Simon was one of the men that we met. And we built up a great friendship. He had a beautiful family. He's got a whole bunch of kids, a whole bunch of grandkids. And he's got a wonderful wife, Rebecca. Um, uh, and, and one night, I hear this phone ring. It was in the xenophobia time. I think it was about eight, nine years ago. And the phone rang, and it was Simon. He says, oh, Simon, this is Simon here. I say, Simon, what's wrong? Bro, you've got a sore throat. He said, no, I'm hiding. I said, what do you mean you're hiding? I'm hiding because the people are burning down the shacks and they're coming towards my house and we don't know what to do. I nearly vomited. Here's my friend. I didn't know what to do. So I've, uh, Matt was staying with us at that time. I had a bucky. I said, we're going to go and help these guys. Get in the bucky, Matt. Matt. First thing Matt does when there's trouble, he gets a, walk, a, a, a golf stick. <laughs> Somewhere along his life, he's going to get a hole in one. And he thinks... Anyway, so we jump in my bucket and we charge down to, to Mayville. And, um, and I don't know if you've ever been in there. It's chaos. When, uh, Ten years ago, it was just a squatter camp. It was squalor. It is one of the oldest ANC strongholds in the country. And there was all sorts of strange stuff happening there. And, um, and we were known there. I'd walk in there during... Huh? I'm getting there, buddy. I'm telling the story. <laughs> I told you a story with a golf stick. And, uh, and uh, so we sort of, what do we do? What do we do? And we thought, let's get it. We've got to get someone official just in case they burn our bucky. Matt held his golf stick. Not going to burn my stick. So, so we get there. We go to the police station. We ask one of the police guys to come. They were not going into the township. So we said, you need to come with us. 
Um, because we're not afraid. We just don't know what we're going to encounter. Maybe you can speak the language for us. It'll be easier. So I said, cool, mate. You jump on the back of the bucky. And the policeman sat in the front. Hey, he had a gun and everything. He's sitting in the front of me. He was petrified. Matt's on the back. And then Matt does the flat duck thing. He lies down flat. <laughs> so no one can see him. <laughs> and, not that he was fearful, because he had a golf stick. And then we charged into the town, and it was chaos. And for whatever reason, we just got through. It was late. This was like 1 o'clock in the morning. We got there, and we found Simon. We eventually made contact with him, and we said, come. And, and uh, the, there was no, there were shooting behind us. There were fires going on. It was chaos. There was, people were running and screaming. And we just got this family. And there were like, I don't know, eight, nine of them with their stuff. And I thought, guys, i got a little bucky. You, and Matt's got a golf stick. <laughs> so they had to leave some of the stuff. They piled in, and then we drove out, and we got home. Dropped the policeman off, and we got home. And, uh, and uh, Leanne and I had a B&B at the back of our property. Uh, fortunately, it wasn't being uh, used at, at that stage. So we, we set them up in our B&B, and we had a, a new family with us for like eight weeks. And then it was the morning school run. So Leanne and I would, I think myself, Matt and Leanne, would, we would swap between who would do the school run in the morning and food. And, and some of you guys helped with blankets and care and all that sort of stuff and some meals. Uh, so the question is, this religious guy says, so who's your neighbor? Your neighbor is right in front of you. You don't have to go very far to discover who your neighbor is. I think this man this, this realized that the law, the, the law that, that called him or the law that called him to wholehearted devotion to God uh, seemed to also prop up a self-edifying, works-orientated religious experience. And in other words, if this religious man was thinking, if our actions determine our devotion, then I need to do more so I can be better. Are you with me? And if that is the truth, if, if our actions determine our devotion, then we're going to be constantly looking for a neighbor to love. If our actions determine our devotion to God, then we're going to be constantly looking for a neighbor to love because what I do defines me. So then Jesus tells the story. So Jesus replied with a story. At the end of the story, he, he asks a bigger question. Jesus replied with the story. A Jewish man was traveling, just read on, from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and they left him half dead besides the road. By chance, a priest came along and when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant, this was a Jewish man, by the way, who had been beaten. A temple assistant, a Levi, Levite, walked over, looked at him lying there. And when he saw the man, he passed to the other side. Then a despised Samaritan man came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. 
Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. And then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of this man. And the next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling the innkeeper, take care of this man, and if the bill runs out and it gets any higher, I will pay you the next time I'm here. This is a story, but it is a story that tugs your heart, isn't it? Then Jesus asks the bigger question, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by the bandits. You see, we think the neighbor is the person that's in front of us. Jesus is asking, who do you think was the neighbor to the man who was the neighbor? And the man said, the one who showed mercy. And then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. What is Jesus saying to us here this morning? I believe that Jesus is saying to us, if your, if our love and devotion to God determines our actions, then we become the loving neighbor. If our devotion and love for God determines our actions, then we become the loving neighbor. We don't need to be like the other two looking for someone who is suitable to care for or to love. That's not the issue. That's not our motivation. It's not a religious experience. Because who I am in Christ determines what I do versus what I do determines who I am. A loving neighbor is someone who's filled with the compassion and mercy of God because there by the grace of I, by the grace of God, go I. I don't know how, how close you are to the gutter of reality, but I know I'm there very close. But I also know this, by the grace of God, I have been redeemed from that place. It is that close. And it is us who have been stirred by the mercy and compassion of God, we become the men and women, the children, the young people who are loving neighbors. Our city needs loving neighbors. Your family needs loving neighbors. The situation we're in in this nation needs loving neighbors. The poor need loving neighbors. The rich need loving neighbors. A loving neighbor, living the loving neighbor life is an inconvenient life, I am telling you now, just so that you don't sign up quickly. It is an inconvenient life. You know why? Because a loving neighbor cannot cannot, can never ignore the broken or the needy or the hurting or the naked. Other people can, but a Jesus follower can't. A Jesus follower whose heart is Jesus's, is moved by compassion, we just cannot ignore the broken, the needy, the hurting, and the naked. A loving neighbor does not have a comparative checklist of, is this a suitable or unsuitable situation? We do not have that privilege of having that checklist. A loving neighbor never passes by on the other side of the road. A loving neighbor always crosses the street to bind up the wounds of the brokenhearted, the hurting, 
and the disenfranchised. That's why Jesus tells the story. He's drawing a line in the sand. He's telling this religious man, I want to tell you something. Religion without the power is dead and it results in further death. But when my spirit is alive within you, you will never cross the road. You will always go to the hurting, to the needy, to the broken, because my compassion compels you. A loving neighbor cares for those who are left on the side of the road. They care for those who have been beaten up by others or beaten up by what life has dealt out to them. A loving neighbor cares for those who have been robbed and stripped of everything, who have no dignity, who live and lie in their shame. A loving neighbor goes to those people. When people are afraid and, and they are left to die, loving neighbors go to those people. A number of years ago, Leanne came home crying, sobbing, actually. Uh, there was a naked woman running down the road in Innes Road. She had absolutely no clothes on. And no one, Leanne was driving past, and no, and, and no one knew what to do. Everyone was standing uh, on the side of the road. This woman was running. She was completely disorientated. She didn't have a stitch of clothes on. She was trying to hide her shame. We did not know what happened. When Leanne saw this, she, she swerved the car onto the side. She ran out and ran after this woman. And uh, she, I think she had a packet with some clothes in her, and then Leanne stopped her and said, are oh, you okay? She was very disoriented, and Leanne took her clothes out and put her clothes on her. Three men came up to Leanne after that and said, thank you so much for doing that. They wanted to do that, but they were men, and she was a naked woman. It was so awkward culturally, and life, and everyone was watching. A loving neighbor clothes the naked. A loving neighbor extends loving arms of kindness to those in needs. A loving neighbor lives a generous life, like the man, the Samaritan man. A Samaritan man, this generous, loving neighbor, he went all the way, he cared for, he prayed for, and he paid for. You care for, a loving neighbor cares for, prays for, and pays for the spiritual and physical well-being of people in need. It's easy to pray for people. It's easy. I've done it for decades. It's easy to care for people, but it's not easy to pay for people. And the power of Christ over our lives is when Christ is Lord of our pocket. When all we can do is, Lord, extend your mercy. If they need to stay in a holiday inn or if they need to stay in the Hilton, I will do it, Lord, because this person matters to you. And just like the Samaritan in the story, he chose to pay the price of being a loving neighbor. Jesus never skirted the issue. If you're going to follow me, it is going to cost you everything. But Jesus also said, your father knows all you need, and when he gives you, you'll have more than you need to keep on giving. I want to extend, if there is anything the church can do today, the church, you and I, we can be loving neighbors. 
the two statements on either side of the story that Jesus pegged the story into tug our heart. They're the very heart of this message. Lord, what must I do to, do to earn eternal life? You must love the Lord with all your heart, Jesus said. This is the thing you must do with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor. And if you do this, you will live. Not everybody in this room today loves the Lord with all their heart. With all their, not every one of us are fully surrendered to Jesus. And you know, this is the starting point. Because the story is very stirring, isn't it? I want to be that good, loving neighbor. But you know, none of us have the wattage or enough fuel within us to live this life. We need to be supernaturally empowered by God to live this life. Because I don't know about you, I like me. I like my time, I like my stuff, and I like my money. But if I'm going to be a Jesus follower and I'm going to be a loving neighbor then I need to have my heart completely surrendered to Jesus. And today, if your heart is not fully surrendered to Jesus, this is the starting point for you. You can say, I'm going to give it all to you, Lord. I'm going to live my life to know you, to love you. I want to I I I be able to say, it's, my heart is all yours, Lord. My soul rests in you. My strength is your spirit within me. And my mind is constantly choosing your way. I want to be that person. And maybe some of you need to do that today. Surrender to Christ. Maybe for the first time. Maybe again. The next statement that stirs our heart is, is this. So, so who was the real neighbor? And the man said, the man, this, the man, the religious man said, the man filled with mercy. And Jesus said, yes, the man, the one who showed mercy is the loving neighbor. And now go and do the same. Your eternity does not depend on this. Your, your eternity depends on wholehearted devotion to Jesus. But your eternity does not depend on your works. But if your heart is mine, now go and do what I would do. Be a loving neighbor. And maybe all of us could stand up and say, I want to be that person. I'm going to be a loving neighbor. As long as I've got breath, I'm going to be a loving neighbor. I'm going to live from the inside out. I know who I am. I know I'm a son and a daughter. For goodness sake, we sing about this all the time. I'm a new creation through Christ because of Christ. I choose to live His way. It is a journey and a life of eternal significance. The story if it was us in that story, if we were the naked woman running down the road, or we were the Matonga family, the efforts of a loving neighbor, not to boast, it's Jesus, their lives were never the same. We can change this city. You can change your family. We can change this world if all we do is follow Jesus and be loving neighbors. Amen? Do you want to stand? So why don't we uh, make, make this just a special moment between you and God. And if you can honestly answer the question, Lord, 
I love you with all my heart, my soul, my strength, my mind. I am completely devoted to you. I'm in love with you. Then you know you're on that journey with Jesus. Your next question, your answer is, am I the loving neighbor? And I want to I encourage you, this is, not a, this is not actually up for debate. This is, um, if you're in, you're in. I want to be that person. Give me your strength, Lord. Forgive me of being selfish or being distracted by my world so that I can let people know how wonderful you are. If you haven't started the journey with Jesus, today is a perfect day for you. Just by no mistake, you here. So I want to pray for you first, if I could. And maybe you want to just pray this simple prayer. If Jesus Christ is not your Lord and Savior, today is a time where you could ask Him to do that. To become your King, your Lord, your friend, your Savior. All you have to do is pray a simple prayer like this. Jesus, I ask you to forgive me and to reconcile me back to the Father. Forgive me of the sin that has separated me from you. Reconcile me back to my heavenly Father the way only you could have done. I believe that your blood that you shed at Calvary's cross has washed me clean and makes me new. You give me a life. You breathe your spirit within me. And because of what you have done, you make me a brand new person. I know I'm not worthy, but Lord, you're good. And you're always good. Please receive me. Receive my prayer. Accept me for who I am and make me brand new today. I pray this in your name, Jesus Christ, Son of God. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, I know it's a very simple and maybe for you might feel a bit superficial, but it's not. It's a start. Maybe come and speak to me afterwards and I'd love to just spend a few minutes with you.